morning. I'm using technology, and if you know me, technology and I are not friends. So if it doesn't work, we're going to morning tea early. Yeah? So firstly, um, I just want to say thank you for the invitation to be able to come and speak to you and share what's on my heart. Um, you know, it's an absolute privilege and an absolute honour. There's a weight that bringing the Word of God carries, and it's kind of a cool weight because it keeps you keeps the plumb line. You know, there's there's a responsibility with it, and and I just wanted to say before I start, um, we've been here as as Greg said about a year and a half, and I love this community. It's, um, it's you know, I've been a Christian for a long time, and. And there was two things when I walked in that I just absolutely loved. One was the way you hug. I'm not a hugger, but you had to learn pretty darn quickly. And two, that your heart breaks for the broken. Um, I'd lived so many years, you know, just not in that space. I've always given money to, for someone else to do, go drill a well or help the poor and then I see you guys rolling up your sleeves and, and we start to see the example of Christ and, and then we start to roll up our sleeves and, and you go, wow, you see, you see a revelation of Christ in that that you just don't when you sit on a pew. So thank you. It's such a privilege to be a part of what, what you guys are doing, what we are doing. Brad keeps correcting me. So that weight, you know, that weight is, is, is huge. Um, to the point where Brad rang me on Friday for a play date. And I said, no, I can't play. I've got to prepare for the, my sermon on Sunday. So that's, that's how serious it was. So I've called this message, Concept to Revelation. We were never designed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We were designed to eat from the tree of life. Yes, yet as humans, we keep going back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. My foundation scriptures, if, you, if you're taking notes, are Isaiah, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 2 and 3, Isaiah 6 and Romans 8. Couple of disclaimers, hey? When I started putting this together, it's a big topic. And so half an hour or so is at best an introduction. But I hope what it gives you uh, some food for thought to take away and wrestle with. Secondly, what I'm sharing with you is an unveiling. It's a, it's a discovery. It's not a destination point. It's not like we've arrived somewhere and I'm going, hey, you know, this is, this is great. This is a journey. And so what I'm doing is I'm inviting you into that conversation that I'm having with God, that Nell and I are having with God, our family's having with God. And because it's a conversation, because it's an unveiling, it's a discovery, can I give you the responsibility to discern? The Bible tells that everything that we listen to, we need to discern. How do you do that? You take it back to the Word of God. That is always your plumb line. Yeah? So what do I mean by concept to revelation? I got saved when I was 16. I came to Australia when I was 15. And I got saved when I was 16. I had an auntie. I walked into the school in Australia. It was, it was quite a culture shock. And I look up and there's this lady in a sari. I'm going, what the heck? And anyway, long story short, she was... She happened to be my auntie. She happened to be related to me. And she had one mission, and that was to, to preach the gospel to me. And we fought for a little while, and I was, it was back and forth. And one morning, I was, giving my, I was just brushing my teeth. And, and, and all, the best way I could describe it is I just felt the Holy Spirit fall on me. And so I gave my life to God. And it carried a weight because I came from a Hindu family, and conversions, let's just put it this way, weren't really celebrated. Um, 
And as a result, I, I lived my life, I think the first, first few years of my life, just fervently, I was seeking God, and I'd read my Bible, and I'd be on my knees, and I'd pray and fast. And... But as life does, years just tick by, and I've ended up finding myself living a life with God in it, but not for God. And in the space I was serving, I was leading, I was doing all of that stuff, good things. But I was not yielded and I was not surrendered to him. So about 10 years ago, I began to feel just this holy dissatisfaction. I just, I don't know, something was stirring in me. And I just started praying. And I think, you know, retrospectively, it was spirit-led and it was prophetic. I just started praying, Lord... Give me a greater revelation of your cross. And if I was honest with you, I don't think I really understood what I was praying. But what I've discovered since is that what I was praying was, Lord, let me live my life in response to who you are and what you have done in deep revelation. I'm not happy just knowing about you. I'm not satisfied living in a space where it's about what you can do for me or what I can do for you. Let me seek your face and not your hand. Let me understand the beauty of who you are because you are enough. And Nell's journey through cancer when we went through that um, certainly brought a lot of clarity to this cry. So concept to revelation. I'm going to use my notes because I don't want to ramble too much the shift from a space or paradigm where I live a life in pursuit of understanding God because I want to be a better me or because of what he can do for me or me for him to the shift of revelation I live in response to who God is it is simply about the sovereignty and majesty of God his holiness his goodness and kindness and in response to his sacrifice, what he has already done for us. And in humility and gratitude, I respond and say, here I am, Lord, as we have sung this morning. It may seem subtle, but it is a big difference. And interestingly enough, our culture doesn't perpetuate this. So much so that if you just reflect on even the songs we sing in church or we have in the, over the last 30 years, we sing about us worshipping God as opposed to worshipping God for who He is. We worship because He's worthy. We worship because of who He is. Subtle difference but bearing very different fruit. So, Genesis 2 and 3 reveals an interesting conversation between man and God. And embedded in this conversation is the key to this revelation. Embedded in this is also caution. I'd encourage you to go and read it, the two chapters. And it's a, it, it's a huge story. So for me, this is just very much a summation. But God says you can eat from any three but not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's interesting language, hey? The knowledge of, concept of, and not the truth of good and evil. As you're aware, and, you know, humans do, we knew better. So we ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's a familiar story, hey? One commentary said, by the fall... Man sunk morally, but grew mentally. Interesting. Have a think about that. He had asserted his independence and had exercised the right of choosing for himself. Still not quite sure how that worked out for him. The deception here is that all these qualities which constitutes man's likeness to God that Adam and Eve desired free will and the exercise of choice and reason actually separated us from God. 
The caution here is, this also warns us that things that may look godly may be far from it. Including our hearts. Perhaps this is why David kept praying, search my heart, Lord. Perhaps this is why when you search up scripture about the motive of our hearts, God is constantly talking about it. The serpent's deception included a grain of truth. And I think it always does. He said, God knows when you eat, your eyes will be open to knowing good and evil. But what the serpent did not say was knowing evil would damage Adam and Eve's relationship with God. So he used a legitimate desire for illegitimate gain. And it's interesting, if you go and study the temptation of Christ, three temptations, all legitimate desire for illegitimate gain. All it takes is for it to be one degree off. But you end up in a very different place. Half-truths can be as deceptive as full-blown lies. The fall changed everything. It robbed humanity of its innocence. And more importantly, it circumvented God's design. Adam and Eve wanted more knowledge and more experience. Their heart motive, though, was self. It was all for self. A life lived satisfied with the pursuit of the concept the knowledge of and not the revelation of God is recognized by the perpetuation of self. Let me explain that. A life lived where we're just satisfied with understanding a head knowledge of God bears fruit in the perpetuation of self. It becomes just about us. Because of the nature of deception, disposition can be difficult to recognize or discern. And I'm sure you've heard this. You've heard the phrase, right? Good things, but not necessarily God things. And interestingly enough, it's in this deception that I think religion hides. Know that this nature to want to make sense of everything is hardwired in us. Humans just want to do that. We want to structure. We want to categorize. We want to make sense. I just don't know if God works that way. Sometimes. The idea that we know better than God disobedience, the pursuit of knowledge over revelation. These are the things we battle against all the time that separate us from God. I think this is the very reason Jesus did not say, come follow me and discover yourself. It's interesting. If you go to most Christian bookshops, there's so many books about discovering yourself. If you've been around for the last 35 years, There's been so many messages about discovering yourself. It's interesting. Come follow me, he said. Take up your cross. Die to yourself. And conform to my likeness. It's so different to discovering yourself. And another interesting note that at the fall, this story, this narrative, one of the first things Adam and Eve do when God confronts them is they blame someone else. So you can see how this is hardwired in us. Today we do the same. It's always someone else's fault. It's the pastor's fault. It's church's fault. It's God's fault. 
And it's important that we understand this makeup. It's important that we understand this design because it helps us to understand and to discern concept from revelation. Genesis 1.31 says, It was enough for humans to understand and experience good, and as much good was given to them. Perhaps what it is saying is God was enough. But Adam and Eve wanted more and put themselves ahead of God. Does this look familiar? And as a result of putting self first, now all people sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. And we live under the twin curse of sin and death. Romans 6.23. I think it's really important that we understand this idea of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and what happened at the start because it helps us to understand some of what we battle with innately. You know, Jesus always taught us what it is to teach us what it isn't, and what it isn't to teach us what it is. And it's important to understand both sides of the story. I'm hoping you're not sitting here going, great, the sky's full of good news. But it's important to understand that. And as is customary with our God, he is actually full of good news and hope. Romans 7, 24 to 25, John 3, 16, Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, and Romans 7, 24. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus delivers us, not the idea of Jesus or the knowledge of Jesus. It's the person of Jesus. He delivers us. The Genesis story tells us about the tree of life. The tree tree from which we gain eternal life. It was the original design. We fell, banished from the garden, but all along we were designed to eat from this tree. We were never designed to eat from the knowledge of of good and evil, that puffs up. This banishment from the garden was into a life of toil, as we, as we read in Genesis 2 and 3. It was now going to be tough, but God's desire to be in relationship never changed. I love the picture of God coming down every evening to walk. I just love that picture. If there's nothing else you get... You have to understand that image. He desires relationship. He comes down and he seeks us out to be in relationship. That has never changed. The difference, the shift that happened with the fall is that we are now empowered to choose life. God revealed this through Adam. He banished him not to drive him to despair, but to quicken quicken him to look for life. Can I repeat this? To quicken him to look for life. We are given the same challenge. To quicken us to look for life in the promised seed by whom a new and living way into into the holiest is laid upon for us. So we were never designed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but from the tree of life. And the question is, what does this tree that produces life look like? Christ tore the veil through his death and resurrection. We give our life to him, declaring him as Lord and Savior. We are baptized in the spirit and by immersion, grafting ourselves into his vine. And we did not have to do anything to earn this position. So we are taught to come to the cross. But what about going through the cross? What about eating from the tree of life that we now have access to? Bearing good fruit, dying to self, conforming to his likeness, picking up our cross daily, and working out our salvation with fear and trembling. For me, Romans 8, 
gives the most succinct explanation of this revelation. So let's read it, hey? Do you mind if I have a, a glass of water? That's okay. Thank you, cheers. Great, thank you. If you've, <coughs> if you've got it. <coughs> if you've got it, please turn. <coughs> Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because true Jesus Christ, <clears throat> the law of spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, this is you, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give, you, give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh, not to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit, but if the spirit you put to death is, but by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought you about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. It is such a significant, significant passage of Scripture. So when we choose to live in obedience to Holy Spirit, we shift from self to the revelation of who God is. This journey is pivotal to shifting the focus away from it being about me. The scripture says, but those who live in accordance to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. It says, have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. We don't come into the picture. It is about what He desires. Except that we are blessed when our hearts desire what God's heart's heart desires because there we find peace that surpasses all understanding. The idea of desiring what the Spirit desires at face value is appealing to most. I think when we speak about this, you know, we go, hey, you know, we want to live a life that, that is yielded to Christ and we want what he wants. And the romantic idea seems great. But the reality is, is this, is that we are prepared to shift from the driver's seat to the passenger seat. Lord, you are in charge. I think in real terms, many of us struggle with this. This level of surrender is why most of us settle, I think, for the knowledge of God. It's easier 
to know about him than to live a life surrendered and yielded, desiring what he desires. It's interesting, isn't it? This, you will desire what the Spirit desires if you put Christ at the center of your heart. You know, about eight, nine years ago, um, we play in a band called Still Band, Still Worship Band, and we were doing a, um, a retreat in New Norcia. And, um, you know, charismatics don't really quite understand what being still is. So I invited some Catholics, Holy Spirit-filled Catholics, who uh, do a lot of contemplation and meditation. And, and um, they got us up at six in the morning, five in the morning, I think it was, and freezing cold, um, teaching us to be still. <laughs> it was hard work. But in the middle of it, in the middle of it, this guy who is a friend of mine who I, I value deeply, you know how he just made this statement. He said, how much time do you spend allowing God to petition you his prayers instead of petitioning him your prayers? Life led by the Spirit desires what the Spirit desires. And we read all through the Bible yeah, in Jeremiah it says his plans are good for us. Zephaniah he says he sings over us. Zephaniah is three three seventeen I think. Romans eight thirty four he says Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God and he intercedes for us or he's praying for us. Have you ever wondered, Lord, what are you singing over me? What are you praying for me? What are your plans for me? So there's this shift from it's about me to, Lord, what have you got in store for me? What are your plans? What are your prayers? The Spirit desires to lead us into truth, John sixteen thirteen. A commentary I read said, a crucial part of the truth he reveals is that Jesus is, is who he says he is. This is what the Spirit reveals. The crucial part is that he will reveal to you that Jesus is who he says he is. John 15, 26, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So many people just do not have this revelation. I didn't. I just didn't. But this one truth changes everything. It validates his word as absolute truth and gives us the assurance that our God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is who he says he is and that he is good. The Spirit convinces us of, the, of Christ's deity and incarnation, his being the Messiah, his suffering and death, his resurrection and ascension, his exaltation at the right hand of God and his role as judge of all. The Holy Spirit gives glory to Christ in all things. There is nothing here about us but all to do with who he is. Yet, all this revelation leads us to life. That is the beauty of following this amazing God. By discovering who he is, we are led to life. He is who he says he is. For me, you know, I, you know, I have a friend, Auntie Carolyn, and she calls them little kisses on the forehead that God gives you, right? That just spurs you on. He just gives you that encouragement. For me, is when Nell got sick, when she got diagnosed with cancer. Um, I, ha I was sitting in the lounge, I think it was two days after, a day after, at about four or five in the morning. And I was having a cry. And my kids have never seen me cry, right? And I'm that guy who just gets on with it. You know, when my mom passed away, I went, I knew when she was, she had given up. I went and cried for two hours in the car park, came back. 
get on with it, got to sort everything out. So my, my, my kids in, had never seen me. And I, I, don't, I don't say that as, as a badge on my, on my chest, but they just hadn't. And so I'm sitting there having a cry, and Ethan comes in, and he, he says, you're right, Dad. And, and I said, I, I think I'm scared. And, um, and in my head, I'd been playing these movies, you know, my wife might pass, pass away, and then I get hit by a bus, and what happens to my kids? And, and I'm going, God, what's going on? What's going on? And, and I've got a beautiful family, and, but, you know, they're Hindus. I don't want my kids to grow up, you know, so on and so forth. And he sits on my lap, and he looks me in the eye, and he says, Dad, I've just been reading this book about refugees. And he says, people go through far worse than this. And then, as God does, he looks me in the eyes, and he says... Dad, regardless of what happens to mum, God is good. And it was like, man, revelation. Here is the shift from concept to revelation. Indwelt and led by the Spirit of God, The majesty of God is further revealed to us and we are propelled to desire to live in response to who he is. Because the Spirit desires only to give glory to Christ and the Father and Christ always desired to only do what the Father desired. It is our example. I want to go through four quick stories, right? that demonstrate this revelation, the power of this revelation in the Bible. And what I'd love you to do is I'd love you to just look for yourself in these stories. The first, and I'm just going to go through them quickly. You know, if I had more time, I'd go into depth. The first, Moses, consumed by his inability. I can't do it. I've got to stutter. I've got this, that, everything. Hurry up. Probably consumed by the shame of committing murder. Probably an orphan spirit adopted, never belonged in Pharaoh's house. He was a Jew. All of this stuff going on, no Elijah house to help him. He's struggling. God, I got nothing, nothing. Sound familiar? I lived most of my life in that space. Got nothing. And then he encounters God, encounters the Most High. He sees him face to face. He's blown away by the majesty of God, the sovereignty of who he is. He has a revelation and everything changes. It pivots from self to who God is. And his priority becomes obedience to God. The turning point was that revelation. The result was nothing but a desire to be obedient. Then we have Isaiah. We read in Isaiah 6 that Isaiah sees the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne. He's overwhelmed by the majesty of God. And in the revelation of who God is, he realizes what a sinner he is. He's humbled. But God, by his grace, redeems him. The angel places the coal on his lips. And Isaiah responds to God's call from a place of revelation. He responds from seeing who God is. Everything changes. He wasn't reading any particular book on self-discovery. He sees who God is. And God says, I need someone. And he puts his hand up and he says, here I am. We were singing about that this morning. It's interesting. In John 12, Jesus is trying to explain that he will be glorified. And even after all the miracles that he had done, the Jews, with all their knowledge... All the concepts of God, because they knew their Torah, did not believe. 
And Jesus quotes Isaiah, that they will be ever hearing but never understanding. And a curious line is mentioned. In John 12, 41, it says Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Isaiah said this. This is Jesus saying. I think this is John saying. Isaiah said all of this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. The response from a, was from, a, from the revelation of who God is. He saw Jesus' glory. Again, seeing who God is and responding in obedience. We know about Paul and his road to Damascus story. All of what Paul did, all of what he wrote about was in response to his encounter with God. The most wretched of sinners to arguably the greatest champion of Christ that ever lived. All in response, always pointing to Christ and never to himself. And then my favorite, I love this guy because he just reminds me of me, Peter, right? He was one of the three most revered disciples, saw the miracles, heard the voice from heaven. This guy, this guy saw it all. Lived with Jesus, walked with him, did all the right Christian things. And then at Jesus' most vulnerable time, he chooses self-preservation over Jesus and denies him three times. How does this happen? Like, think about it. Just think about it. He's walked with Jesus. He's pulled his sword after cut the guy's ear out. He's fervent. He's, he's eating with him. Oh, don't wash my feet, you know. And then he denies him at the most vulnerable time. And Jesus knew that this was happening. But I think to teach is one of the most significant lessons. Because at the resurrection... When Jesus meets up with Peter again, again, his response is curious. We would in the West go, hey, Peter, no, it's okay. It's, it's fine, you know, I know you stopped up, but you're a good person. You're full of gifts. Go out now, be a champion. That's what we would do. Jesus doesn't do that at all. He says, hey, Peter, do you love me? And I think what he was saying was, Peter, do you get who I am now? Three times. And then it wasn't, hey, Peter, do you get who I am? There, there, no. Go feed my sheep. Be my hands and feet. Obey. So he gets the revelation of who Jesus is at this point. And then you read in the book of Acts, this man is a changed man to the point where he would not allow himself to be put on the cross the same way as Jesus because he was not worthy. This is a significant, significant revelation. One of the things that encourages me about all of these stories, and I think it should encourage you, is none of this happened to these guys at the start of their journey with God. Like it wasn't like they got saved and all of a sudden, bang, these revelations and they see who God is. These were men of God that were walking with him. Years, some of them. Peter, probably one of the, oh, sorry, Paul, probably one of the most religious of them all. And as, as I just said, Peter, day in and day out. But by God's grace, bang, they see who God is and everything Everything changes. So if you've been walking with God for a while, it's never too late. If you want that revelation. You see, concept is, the, is knowledge-based and often motivated by self and the need to build oneself up. It's very subtle, right? The difference between being a better me by reading scripture and praying is 
sorry, there is a difference between being a better me by reading scripture and praying and wanting to be more like Jesus because you see who he is. There's a big difference. Concept is transient. It's not transformational. This is important. Concept is man's attempt, I think, to conform Christ to his likeness. It disguises narcissism as great intention. It elevates man's gifts and intellect. It elevates even structure and programs. We see it in churches. To the point that it makes small the mystery and majesty of God. In short, we get to a point where we think we have God understood. But Paul says this side of eternity we see in part and we know in part. He is a big God. Revelation, however, you have to understand it's not a magic switch. It's a process of unveiling. It is it's that door that opens up to the throne room moment that Isaiah had. It's a journey of discovery, comprising of layers upon layers, but undergirded by obedience, just showing up. I want more of you, Lord. You're not some super spiro overnight. In fact, if anything, like Isaiah, you realize how unworthy you are. And all that you have is only by the grace of God. It humbles you. Revelation dethrones you and places Christ at the center. You begin to desire now what he desires. Desiring what Jesus wants increases the desire for obedience. Obedience then becomes your plumb line. This is what revelation does. Obedience to God becomes your priority. And this is really important and is audited and anchored by the word of God. This is what makes you hate sin and propels you towards holiness. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Revelation, this is important too for a lot of us that strive, converts obligation, so striving, it converts obligation to response. No longer do I do out of a sense of obligation or needing to work out my salvation or performance, but I respond because I see who God is. There's now a peace and a joy, and you begin to understand that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Revelation, this is important too, clothes you for all seasons. Spring, summer, autumn, but most importantly, winters. Your faith might be challenged, but it won't be derailed. See, revelation clothes you to such a degree that it's not derailed by circumstance. So regardless of what is going on in your world, you hang on to the fact that God is who he says he is. You know, it's interesting that I was listening to a John Bevere message and, and he was talking about just in the last three years, 40 million people in America alone have left the faith. faith. And I wonder if we've perhaps not spoken well enough of this revelation and instead taught, instead taught people about the concept of God. This is important. Revelation breaks your heart for the broken and the lost. It just does. And it shifts you from consuming, from being a consumer to a contributor. You won't be satisfied just sitting on a pew. Revelation is spirit-led and not intellect-led. It's transformational. It conforms you to Christ's likeness and cultivates, this is important, it cultivates the fear of the Lord, which will lead you to a life of repentance, which is a life we are called to live in, 
a turning away from our sinful ways and always to God's way. The degrees between concept and revelation are small, but the fruit it produces is massively different. Just remember there was a grain of truth in the serpent's deception, much the same as there are grains of truth in the concept of God. But understand that revelation produces life. So to finish, some of you might be sitting here saying, hey, but I have needs. You know, do I stop praying about my needs and what I want? All I would say to you is that if God sees and knows the sparrow, he sees and knows you. It is time we trust him because he is who he says he is. See, you have to understand the greatest persecution that the Western church goes through is our obsession with self. I reckon it's far greater. It's far worse than getting shot, I think, sometimes because you just don't realize. And even in that, right, the understanding of God providing for me, there's grains of truth in that. Yes, he cares, and yes, he will provide. But he's not your genie. Your needs are met through the lens of discovering who he is. My prayer for all of us is that we would desire to live our lives in response to who God is in the revelation of who he is. My prayer is that we would start to ask him for a greater revelation of the cross. There is such freedom in that space. And like I said, it's an unveiling. It's a discovery. It is not some switch on a wall that you turn on. But it's a position of your heart where you go, you know, Lord... Enough. What do you have for me? Let me gaze upon the beauty of who you are so I can be your hands and feet. I would love if your heart desires that we have the opportunity to pray for you Because my heart is that, you know, as Brad said a little earlier, the harvest is ready. But there's far too many of us living in our back pockets. We just need to get this revelation. We need to get out of our heads. Man is smart, but God is smarter. He has so much more for us. And so I offer you this opportunity to come up if you so desire, if you want a greater revelation of who he is, or if you want to shift your heart's position from, Lord, it's been so much about me, even subtly or overtly, I want to see more of who you are. Start that journey. Take that, line, take that step. And I know there's a bunch of people here that, that will be so prepared to pray for you. I'll be happy to as well. And know this much. I don't stand here pointing the malicious finger or saying, hey, I got it all together. I don't. I stand here going, Lord, I kind of wish that I'd seen this a few decades ago. But it's okay. You're calling me for such a time as this, and I want to live the rest of my life. Wow however many years that is, in response to who you are. I want to get the revelation that he's actually enough. So can I invite you up?
Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word, and I thank you for your promises. I thank you that you are good and you are faithful. I thank you for the picture of walking through that garden, looking for us, wanting to be in relationship with us. I thank you, Lord, that you have never changed. I thank you, Lord, that you so desire for us to sit on your lap and to get to know you better and to see the beauty of who you are and the majesty that our worship would come from that place of seeing who you are, Lord, that our hearts would desire only to lift the name of Jesus up because it is the name that is above every name. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you that all of our freedom is in the revelation of who you are as you did for Moses and Peter and Paul and Isaiah. Father, we pray for that revelation as a, as a community today. We would live out of a space of knowing that you are who you say you are. We would live out of a space of wanting nothing more than obedience to your voice. Thank you, Lord, that you're calling us back to that place of relationship you're realigning your church you're coming and you're saying I am enough stand on the truth of the fact that I am enough so if you'd like to come forward you're welcome to if you need to go and pick your kids up please do that and again thank you so much for the opportunity and for the for the invitation, it's been, been an absolute honour.